Southern Soul Livestream is a weekly talk show and music hangout where the hosts learn your name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight fascinating people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up generations. So if you want to know more, learn more, be more, or just be, Southern Soul Livestream is the place for you. Join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at soullivestream.com. I am so blessed to have you here today. I've joined a few of your sessions and enjoying your sessions. You know, I was like, you know, um, if we can put everyone else on mute, that'd be great. But what I um, really walked away from is that you had, I think, a unique way to kind of take this topic that has been, I think, complicated to certain people or, you know, mystical, but you make it so real, so down to earth. And the session that I attended a couple of weeks ago when you're, I think it was like the six, you know, um, signs that you know that you're experiencing maybe stress in your career or something like that. And, you know, I would love for you just to kind of introduce yourself, tell us about you, how you became a self-care expert and what you do and how people can find you. And we're going to make sure, um, I just realized I didn't get your link information. So um, if you don't mind when you're done, just putting that in the chat. So, cause I want people to be able to find you and be able to join your Sunday session as well. Okay, cool. Thanks for having me, Calvin, and having me to bring this message. And thanks for showing up for my Sunday sessions. So um, essentially I have, you know, I, like many people, I had that moment of breakdown. And you wanna know about that moment of breakdown? I was in <laughs> Ikea and I was walking around cause I like Ikea. Some people don't like Ikea, it's too much for them. So I'm walking around and I'm like, it's really hot in here. Can y'all turn the air on? Why am I only one sweating? So I'm talking to the people like, um, excuse me, is your air working? Is your air working? And they're like, ma'am, it's fine. And I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm like, oh, these people, they carts is too close to me. Like, what is happening here? Y'all need to back up. And then, you know, Ikea is one way in, one way out. And I was like, where is the emergency exit? And I was just like, why am I tripping? And I was like, okay, let's just get over to this um, food court. Maybe I need to eat, get some water, some of those famous Ikea meatballs, and I'm going to be good. But there was like a little 10-year-old boy in front of me. And he was making, like, he was waiting, he was doing a lot, trying to decide what he wanted. And I wanted to, like, push him down on the ground. Then I was like, oh, oh, something is just, like, going on with you that um, you need to, like, sit down somewhere, go home, do something. Because if you're trying to push children, then there's a problem. And that was a day that I had my first panic attack. I didn't know it that day. I wouldn't have called it. I just thought I called it that. I just thought I was tripping. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, but the next day I went to work and started having those same feelings. My boss was talking to me and seemed like she had an extra attitude. I'm snapping back at her. And then again, you know, I think every time I'm not feeling good, my solution is like, let me go get some food. <laughs> That's my solution to everything. Let me go get some food. And, um, and I was on my way to get some lunch and I was just like, mm, I don't think you should get in this elevator. Cause you might just like, you know, pass them all the way out. So I went to my office manager and she was like, girl, let me call you an ambulance. And so I rolled out of work on a stretcher. That, to me, that's just, you know, um, yeah, to me, oh, I'm getting some something here. Okay, I'm gonna say later. 
Okay, there's Zoom was sending me some messages and I was like, I don't know what to push, right? So having that, that those moments back to back, I was just like, hmm, that's special. Like, why can't I like regulate myself? And I'm using these like big words in hindsight, but I was like, girl, something is wrong. That's how I was feeling at the time. And then um, I would, you know, just take off of work and then come back and take off of work and come back. Um, and then one day my boss calls me and she was just like, she's a black woman. So she was like, girl, can you just like get a doctor's note when it's okay for you to come back? Because I'm tired of you coming to work and then leaving. I need you to be here. So if you're not going to be here, just don't be here. And that really gave me permission to sort of break all the way down. So then how did I get here? How did I get to this moment to where I am sitting over here on short-term short disability over some job stress, what have you? And I'm very grateful and thankful that I had that. Um, and, I, and when I thought about it and looked back on it, you know, I was like, I've probably been like this my whole life, but when I got, you know, closer into my mid thirties and things like that, things came to a halt. So like many of us, I was about these coins. I'm trying to get the best job. Um, and I had got to a point in my career where I was being offered jobs without interviews, um, you know, with, without even submitting my resume. People were just calling me like, girl, you want this job? Of course I want this job. Hook me up, right? Um, but I, you know, but because I just wanted like these titles, uh, I didn't really ask all that many questions about the job. If you don't give me a job. I'm not asking too many questions. You give me a job. It comes with the right money. We're not asking much. We're just going to make that move. And, and so I had kind of been putting out there to people that I, you know, I kept making these lateral moves and I was like, I want to be a manager. I need to get to a managerial point. This, you know, at this point I've been in the field for 10 years. So we, you know, we go by time, like, well, you know, it's been this amount of time I should be here. Uh, and, and so then somebody called me and said, do you want this director position? Won't he do it? Thank you. <laughs> we gonna take it. Mm -hmm. I'm over here praying to be a manager. And they said, how about you be the director? Got it. And by the end of the first week on that job, I was in my cubicle crying. Don't ask me why the director was in the cubicle. That's a whole nother story. Um, but I was in my <laughs> cubicle crying, like what is happening here? And they had told me that it was going to be like a tough client, and all this stuff. But I was like, I got it. I can handle this. I can handle this. And really, like, it was just like a whole other thing that I was not used to. And I was like, I was a remote employee, too. So I was like, oh, we chilling, right? We remote. And this person, the very first day this client met me, um, and I'm going to date myself a little bit. He was like, ma'am, do you have a Blackberry? That's his first question. He was like, hi, hello, do you have a Blackberry? And I was just like, what is going on here? Like, and it literally, you know, whenever he had a thought call my phone, these kind of things, but it's like, well, I'm a director now. So that's what, that's what comes with that territory, that territory. Like I can't have the same boundaries. Not that I really had boundaries before, but you know, I didn't want to set the boundaries. So I'm like, well, I got this position without an interview. I'm a black woman. And so I can't fail. Cause then if I fail, that means every other black woman, like all two and a half of the other people, um, their failures too, if I fail, um, they're going to be scrutinized. So I just have to like, go, go, go into this. And I, you know, I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, but at some point my body was like, we cannot do this. We cannot work all of these hours. And I'm sure some of you guys are also community minded. So I'm working all, you know, these hours at this job. And then I am also the president of the board of my local um, sort of professional organization on some national committees and all of that kind of stuff. And that, you know, I did all of that so I could get to the point where people were calling me, giving me jobs. And once I got it, I didn't kind of put those things to the side. And I thought I could just add, add and add and add, but it was like, when you ask for more responsibility, that's what you've been putting out 
um, into the atmosphere and you got more responsibility, but I didn't take any of it away. So in some, at first I used to always blame that job, but I was like, no, that, that situation was a lot. But at the same time, it was up to me to be adult to say, this is what can fit on my plate. You can't just keep adding and adding and adding. But I think I definitely had that black woman, superwoman syndrome going on for sure. So wow. you know, I'm on this uh, short-term disability keyword, short term. I'm also not independently wealthy yet. We working on it. So them days were dwindling by and <laughs> I had to go back to work at some point. Uh, and so I, you know, I had I have good insurance. So I'm going back and forth to the doctor. They tested me for everything. And then at some point she was just like, I think you're stressed out. And I was like, well, okay, if that's what you think, then let's just go see this therapist. So I go see this therapist. I tell her like everything that's going on. She looks me dead in my face. She was like, you lack awareness. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> like, I was just kind of like, what are you talking to? Ain't you supposed to be the therapist? And then so she got woo-woo on me. She's like, just hold the word therapy in your mind for the next seven days. And when you come back, you know, tell me what happened. And I'm looking like, okay. So first she just like read me and called me out. And now my assignment is to hold the word awareness in my consciousness for the week. So I was just like, okay, well, you know, we're going to do this because, you know, I, I need to keep going to work. At that point, I was going back to work. But I was just like there. <laughs> I was just there. Mm -hmm. And because they was kind of giving me some grace. Because they're like, oh, Aisha was out. You know, and so I was trying to take advantage of that transition back time in. And so in that week, I realized that every single day, this was missing. Every single day. I couldn't find my keys. Every single morning. I'm like, you know, ready to go. You know, about to leave the door on time so I can catch to this metro in the D.C. area. Then I couldn't find my keys, right? every single day so then once I found them I'm running out the door getting to the metro running down the um running down the stairs everybody's in my way everybody walks too slow jumping through the doors all of that kind of stuff and then I would always just be on my phone like okay okay what time is it what time is it what time is it because I had this 9 15 call that I need to get to and 9 15 is not early but I was just like not in I, my life was just out of order that even a call as late as 9 15 I could barely get to it on time. If you live in the DC area and when outside opens back up and you think you need to take a um, phone call within the Metro system in a quiet area, let me know. I could tell you all the like secret little places you can start <laughs> to take a good phone call in the Metro. So I, you know, I was trying to adapt to my situation, but that's a poor adaptation. How about I like get organized, get out the door earlier instead of trying to figure out where I could take a phone call in the Metro. Looking back, I'm like, girls, that was, is, is that what you call resourcefulness? <laughs> And so in that week, I was like, okay, you know, I'm constantly late. Um, I'm on the Metro on my phone all the time. So I'm not chill at all. And so by the time I get to work, I'm like exhausted and didn't really know it. And I'm just, you know, hitting my day running, like with the phone call back to back, that phone call would always give me more work to do. And so I was a little bit of, hot, of a hot mess. So I wasn't, the fact that everything, I had a lot on my plate and I was, everything was stressful for me. It didn't like, I wasn't helping myself by making sure that I was setting up my life in a way that um, would be healthy and would control my stress, anxiety, and mental wellness. And then there was always this belief that I had that like, oh, I'm going to work out after work, or I'm going to go to this yoga class after work. In fact, the yoga class was in my office, like three doors down, and I would never go because I would never set the boundary with my client to say, you know, hey, 
I got to go to this yoga class for an hour. Because if, if I wasn't at my desk, he would call all my coworkers, the lady at the front desk, the, the vice president, blah, 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 right? And so then I, after that week of awareness, I was like, oh, you got some things you need to work on in terms of just your own habits, number one. And number two, you got to set some boundaries, right? Because the bound, the, actually the boundaries got set for me. So first going on short-term disability. And when I came back to work, they were like, okay, so you are no longer the director. And I was like, well, what was the point of all this stress? I didn't lost the title that I was looking for this whole time. And I was just like, okay, you know, there you're the, I don't remember what the title was at the time. And I hung on the phone and I called my boss right back. I was like, do I make the same amount of money? She was like, yeah, girl. I was like, oh, we do this. <laughs> I have 15 responsibilities to five and, you know, and I make the same amount of money. So I was like, bet. So essentially, I was just like, okay, I'm going to do all these things that I said I didn't have time for, the yoga, the meditation, getting things, you know, getting orderly, all of that. I'm just going to, now the fact that people not calling my phone at all hours, I'm just going to go ahead and get this started. And within like four months, I was like, um, you know, off of all these medications, where are they? I was showing them earlier in a talk I had. I don't know. I probably threw them someplace else, but I was on all these medications, um, got rid of those medications. Um, and then eventually I got re-promoted. Um, and I'm just like, like everything's good. So the work, the career tra trajectory is good, but also the um, work, um, like my personal life is good. Everything is like in place because I just put myself first. It's like a non-negotiable for me now. And so self-care for me used to be this. I don't know how well it's showing up in the Zoom, but I love me a good manicure, right? We, give me all the nail art, give me everything. Cause it was my place to decompress. The mall was my place to decompress. Um, but I wasn't, but like the fact that my nail polish might be tripped, that wasn't going to do anything about these people calling my phone all time to the night. Wasn't going to do anything about the fact that I was just a hot mess, could never find my keys, was going to do anything. It wasn't going to save me and Ikea in that moment. It wasn't that my, that wasn't going to save that little boy from getting pushed. Just my, you know, God spoke to me was like, don't push that little boy. Just don't push him. So the thing is that, you know, just ain't all that to say. There's just a whole bunch of stuff that I sort of missed that I kind of want to like share with you guys because I feel like I, I realized I was addicted to stress. And so the first thing was like, I never had any free time. Like, of course, you know, I went to brunch and things of that nature, but in general, if there was an empty space on my calendar, somebody was always calling me to do something. And it would be, you know, it might, you know, I did a lot of volunteering, would do a lot of community work. So people knew I was into that. And once you're into that, then they're like, oh, can you be on this committee, this committee, that committee, right? So never having any free time. And then my family who lives 3000 miles away, I was the mediator between everything. There's certain people in my family who don't like each other. So they'd be calling me <laughs> to that one and all this kind of stuff. So I never had any free time. Um, and then I would just like pack my schedule with so many things uh, because I was just like, well, I'm young, you know, I got time to do this. Once we, you know, get these kids popping off and all this stuff, I'm not going to be able to do all this. So let me just pack my schedule with all of these things, right? So that was the other sign that I was probably addicted to stress. The third one was like um, being bored when you have nothing to do. Like this idea of just like resting, taking a break, taking a nap, chilling out, um, you know, always did that to a certain extent, but I probably could have been doing more, 
but always trying to busy myself with doing some. So even if I was like just chilling, I would be like, okay, well, let me like reorganize this. Let me, oh, like I was in Ikea because I was like, let me do a home renovation. I got this, I got just got married, got this super special job. My daddy passed away and now let me get a home renovation popping off. Like who does that? Like, why was I doing that, right? <laughs> so like being bored when you have nothing to do. Uh, the ne next thing, and this is a hard one, I'm still working on it, is feeling more accomplished when you're busier. Because a lot of times we feel like, one, we work better under pressure. We don't. We just work faster. Um, but it's like there's something about that pressure, that rush that we like. And I've tried this whole being less busy thing. And it, for me, it was just kind of, it was a little bit boring. I kind of like that rush. But I, so I've been really working on, like, where else can I get that rush other than working. And for me right now, it's been exercise. I'm like, okay, let me go do that and get that rush because that's more beneficial to me than just putting some more work on my plate. The other one is just being used to the um, feeling of the, the dog has joined us, um, being used to the feeling of overwhelm. That a lot of times these that stressful state, it is what feels so normal to us. It feels like this. It feels like that comfy robe that you really like, you know, <laughs> and actually not being stressed feels like vulnerable. It feels naked. It feels weird because the, the thing that we say that we don't, that we don't want is to be super stressed, but we're so used to it that not being stressed just feels like odd. So we do things to self-sabotage and put that stress back on because it feels so strange, right? So we have to really like look at ourselves and look for some of these behavior patterns that we have and really like try to get a handle on it and start to make some, um, to get some small changes. And the first thing to do is accept that you may have an unhealthy relationship with stress. And it starts with that, like trying to realize that you have an unhealthy relationship, right? And so stop packing your schedule, being okay with rest, um, try to find other ways to feel accomplished rather than being busy. And this is the, this is the hardest one. Get used to and accept the fact that, you know, get like, enjoy that feeling of not being stressed. Like, I'm just trying to tell you a lot of people, it's just like, you've never felt not stressed. So, so that thing is just, you don't even know how to handle it. You're like, Ooh, right. So that's just some of the tips that I would recommend is really just like accepting that you might have an unhealthy relationship with stress and really trying to do some things to work on it. So that's what I got for y'all tonight. Questions, comments, or is it time for Awesome. Questions? Aisha, thank you very much. We're going to hold the questions to, to, to later on. And so feel free to kind of, you know, um, rock out with us for a while. But I just want to kind of summarize for the people who just popped in. First of all, I want to say thank you for sharing your testimony, for sharing your story, for sharing that thing that a lot of, let's just call it what it is, um, African-Americans are so afraid, you know, to mention. I was dealing with someone recently who were like, oh, stress and all of this stuff is only for people who have a severe breakdown. You know, if you don't have a tragic moment where you lived in the projects and had to overcome your house burning down five times, then obviously, you know, you know, you're not dealing with stress, right? And, you know, what I said to this person, I said, you must understand we all experience stress and stress is no different than rain. It's no different than gravity. And what I said, what I've learned is that stress should flow through us. We should not hold on to it. Stress is going to happen, but as it come into us, let's just flow through it 
and not hold on to it. But what I've heard you say is a lot of awesome stuff in your testimony. Awesome things that says, hey, I've acknowledged it. I got help. I even dealt with medication. But I got to a place where I am a better person, happier with myself, and have a better perspective of my relationship with stress. And I really appreciate that. So if you guys have any questions for Isha, please put it in the chat. We're going to hold that um, as uh, on our agenda. Isha, um, feel free to hang out with us because we're going to, you know, transition to our feature. But, you know, if you don't, let's make sure that people can find you. And I think I just saw the chat pop up. So for any of you guys who want to catch up with Isha, definitely visit her Instagram. She has recordings. She every Sunday night, she um, records. Tell us about Sunday night, because I love how you describe Sunday night. It's that anxious moment before the week starts. Tell us about that um, before we transition. But I want people to find you on Instagram so that they can follow you and get more of this, because I'm telling you all, I have never seen anyone who is so humble, so down to earth and so practical with dealing with this stuff. But 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 tell them about Sunday night. Sure. So on Sundays at 7 p.m., I do what's called the Sunday session because there's this thing that called the Sunday scaries or sometimes they call it the Monday blues. But essentially you're chilling, you're kicking it and then you're like, oh, Monday's coming. Work's coming. Got to get them kids together. And then all the anxiety and stuff is rushing over you and that kind of thing. So I hold the Sunday session on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. because I know that's exactly the moment when people are having that thought that like, you know, the week is about to overwhelm them. So I just do sort of a little talk similar to what I did today. So just like a 15 minute talk and then I open it up for questions and um, discussion and then we share wins and set intentions. So really it happens in about 30 minutes. And then the first portion, the 15 minute talk, I take that and put it up to Instagram live the next day. So that if you miss it or you want to see it again, you can watch it on Instagram live. Awesome. Thank you for that. Now, Katie, before we um, transition, do we have any dying, burning questions? We want to make sure we grab Isha because I don't know if she's going to be able to hang out to the end. But do we have any questions that's popped up in the chat where someone definitely um, want to ask at this moment? I'm sorry, we've got a couple, but I think that they would be best to wait until after Ty is actually finished, actually. Okay, so, yeah. so go ahead and hold those. Isha, feel free to hang with us as long as you can. Thank you very much. We're gonna transition uh, now to um, our um, feature for the night. And, and I wanna introduce her. Let me remove the spotlight. Thank you very much, Isha. And we gotta give a, you know, we need to call the people at Zoom and tell them they need to give us a finger clap or snap or something like that because that's so important <clears throat> yeah yeah let's let's go ahead and give her, her, her no finger snap so thank you so much isha um i mean one thing you guys know about me as i talk i love um humble people i love down the earth people i love people who keep it real you know don't get me wrong they may like they fine wine they caviar they sophistication but it's something about the spirit of a man the spirit of a woman who can just hey just make it plain. So Isha, thank you for blessing us with that. Now we have our feature. Ooh, girl, I see that book in the background. You what like you got it? There? You like yeah. it? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. There it is. <laughs> yeah, we need to get a screenshot of that. You know, I always like kind of stepping in a person's new Zoom spot, right? Everybody has a Zoom spot. You see my spot, right? And I see 
that book in the background. I see that I am enough. I remember when you first did that photo shoot. I mean, it is so awesome. So beautiful. Thank you for being here. I am so excited about being here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So, well, let me introduce the topic. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into you and I want you to tell us about you and things like that. But I just want to kind of set the backdrop and I'm actually going to start doing this. So the struggle is real, but the solution is manageable. Toxic politics, social unrest, and the pandemic have affected us all. But mental health care is available and effective. So join us on today for an honest conversation about mental health and stress. And the question for the night is, is what we're seeing in society an indication of the breakdown of our overall mental health? So all thank you tonight for Ms. Ty Presley. Ty, tell us about yourself and feel free to um, uh, address those. You know, I have my canned questions. I'm going to use them as a guideline. But go ahead and tell us about you. I mean, you can get started with your background, your academic, your credentials, just so we know we're dealing with somebody official. Well, okay. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> so I'm Ty, uh, Tysha, and I'm from Charlotte. And I work as a mental health therapist, a licensed therapist. And I work with adolescents and young adults who've experienced dysfunction or trauma. So I'm a trauma therapist. And so um, I've been in this field for like 20, almost 20 years. Uh, working with, initially started working with adults that had addictions. And I kind of tell you about how I got started with that. And I kind of, it goes back to my childhood because I came from dysfunction myself. Um, I had a dad that was an alcoholic uh, who abused my mom emotionally. He abused my mom, sometimes physically, mentally, financially. And so um, I was like the middle child, but I functioned as the oldest child. And so all my life, you know, we all have a story, right? And so we sometimes think that think that therapists don't have their own story. And I just love Aisha hearing your story um, because it reminded me of me and how growing up in that environment, very, very toxic, um, very much secretive because we don't talk about you, know, you ever heard that saying that there's like a white elephant in the room that we just don't talk about? So in my family, we had this huge white elephant in the room that, you know, we are living in toxicity where we're being abused, but no one is talking about it. So grew up with that, um, got sexually molested, abused as a child as well. So none of this stuff I was allowed to talk about. So I kept it all in secrecy. Um, and as I grew up, I just started to wanting to figure it all out because I really just did not like, it's weird because you think I would not like my dad because he's the abuser, but I ended up not liking my mom because she was the abused. And so I was always saying that my mom was weak and she was this, she was that. And so we just had a really horrible relationship because I was like, why, why would you stay? And so I always wanted to like, just figure out my dad, like what would drive someone to abuse their wife, to, to drink alcohol and not be able to function? Like what would drive that? And so I went on this journey of just trying to understand my upbringing, trying to understand my dad. And that led me to college. I said, I wanted to study psychology just so I can understand my dad. And so I um, started studying psychology and eventually I started working with drug addicts. Um, in treatment facilities. And I started saying, you know what, these people are stuck. They don't want help. I cannot work with them. And honestly, it was just like, they were just triggering me, reminding me of my dad. 
to be honest with you. And so somehow I got from working with the adults to working with their children. And so that is pretty much where I have been over the last, you know, couple of years, maybe five years or so, just working with children of addicts, children of dysfunction. Um, and so I'm finding out that there is a lot of work I, and I call it rehabilitation work. Um, it's a lot of rehabilitating your life when you grow up in dysfunction and trauma. And it really does just affect your life overall. It can like really devastate your life if you're not really mindful. Aisha used that word mindful. If you're not very mindful of what's happening, you can be functioning as if you're a five-year-old child and you can be 40 something years old. And sometimes we don't recognize all that. So that's kind of how I kind of got into this field and where I am right now, just out of dysfunction and out of trying to understand how I grew up in the way that I grew up. Well, wow. I can just say, wow. And first of all, thank you for sharing that. Because, you know, I remember when I first started therapy many years ago, and you want to know what my aha moment was? I said, you know, when I go to therapy, they want us to do these things that, and all honestly, and I'm being candid for the audience, is that what white people do? Aren't white people sensitive? Don't they use their words? Don't they communicate? And as a man, I was like, isn't that stuff going to make me soft? Isn't that stuff going to make me weak? You know, it was a very ironic thing. But as a black man, I was like, black people don't do this stuff, right? But as you begin to tell your story, and I appreciate your story, because it even reminds me of my stories, because we all have these lens or these things that we have to overcome, stuff that we're trying to achieve that may not even be real. It's like, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Right. But I appreciate your story, because what your story tells me is that there's something different about you when it comes to your approach to therapy. So tell yes. me this. What qualities do you have that make you more relatable than the stereotype that many of us have? about therapists, you know, yeah. that old man with a notepad and a pen staring, you know, at a patient on this line on the sofa. What about you, you know, makes you different? Because I think something about you is different. Yeah, so I am very much real, kind of in your face, loud, because I just, I found out, you know what, I found out that the more I am just myself, the more I attract who needs me, because they are like, she has something that I need, because she's just being herself. And so I just really just in myself, and people are like, yeah, I need to work with her. And so I am not you know, there's this whole notion of just talk therapy. And so there is a such thing as talk therapy. And yeah, we do a lot of talking, but it's more so practice. So we're, I teach you some skills. We practice the skills every single day and we talk through how you get stuck while you're practicing the skills. And I think that that is so much more attractive to people because they don't like that whole notion of just sitting back on a couch. They just see it as boring and just kind of stuffy, mm -hmm. but they do like the kind of experiential type of work that we do in therapy. Okay. Well, you know, thank, thank you for sharing that because, you know, it, it, it kind of makes me think, you know, another thing that you mentioned to us, I mean, well, mentioned to me, where you said you can almost identify, I think you have certain customers or certain clients. Mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of feels like a ministry a little bit. Tell us about those people that you, when you see them, you're like, I need that person to be my customer. I need that person to be my client. You know, is, is it moms? Is it single moms? Is it co-parenting? Tell me about that thing, because I feel like you're going to forever have customers because you got to feel in uh, for people who you help the most. 
Yeah. So I, I work with the people that have experienced trauma, but they are trying to recover their life. And so they are trying to move forward. And we in the church, I'm a Christian. And so in the church, what we call it, we want to break cycles, generational cycles, right? And so I am all about the people that want to break the cycles in their family line. And it starts with you because we can't control anybody else, but we can control us. And so I work with the people that see that, you know what, I want to do this, but I just don't know how, like a lot of people like me, like even I remember when I first started trying to get into a relationship when I was 17, 18 years old, and I just never had a healthy idea or image of what a healthy relationship is. So I just didn't know how to be healthy. And so it took practice. It took me uh, finding someone that knew how to be healthy and practicing with them. When I became triggered, when my traumas came up, them being patient with me and working, working it all through with me. And so I look for the people that want to practice being healthy, want to practice being whole, but see that, you know what, I just don't know how to do it and I need help to be able to do it. And so I work with, I work with couple, a lot of, I work with a lot of couples um, because, you know, we have this whole fight, flight, freeze thing that goes on in our brain, right? When we've experienced trauma. And so we can be in an argument. I could be in an argument with you and I'm not even really, even though you're the trigger, you're not the thing that's making me flip out the way that I'm flipping out. And so it takes therapy in order to kind of dig deep and look at, this is why I'm flipping out the way that I flipped out, because this is what happened to me when I was young. And so I work with a lot of couples to help them to resolve conflict within their relationships, a lot of single parents that have co-parenting issues, um, and a lot of people that have body image issues and weight issues because of their trauma and their um, their past. Okay, and, and I'm going to get into that body image thing. But before I get into that, I want to kind of give, you know, I want to talk about ACE. Now, I have no idea what ACE means, right? You know, KD created these questions. And I'm like, I don't know what ACE means, right? <laughs> but, 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 but I think it's important, right? You know, can, can you tell us, because I think before we get into, you know, things like body image, ACE means something. And ACE is almost like an academic or, 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 or term that can, that, that can kind of help you understand, you know, what's going on with yourself, even after you have your therapist. But, you know, I butchered it, but just tell me. Tell me about ACE. What is ACE and why is it important? So ACEs are the, it, the acronym stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. So it's just looking at a person's risk factors because we know like your childhood is the foundation for which you live life at now, right? So everything that you experienced as a child it helps you, it colors how you are in life. We, I, I call it like an invisible suitcase. Like we have this invisible suitcase that we walk around with. And in that invisible suitcase are our thoughts about the world, our thoughts about ourselves, our thoughts about people. So your ACEs are the experiences that you have early childhood that helps, that puts things in your invisible suitcase. And you walk around with that suitcase and people unpack you as they experience you, right? Or sometimes you unpack yourself as you experience people, but everywhere you go, there you are with your invisible suitcase. So your ACEs are just like your risk factors. Like for example, have you been abused? Like I had a lot of risk factors. I was abused. I experienced um, domestic violence. Um, my, I ex, um, experienced my parents having domestic violence. Um, I was molested. Like So all of those things are adverse childhood experiences that um, color how I do, how well, we professionals say it colors how you do in life. But the, here's the thing, um, what we sometimes don't recognize is that although there are 
ACEs, there are also a lot of positive interactions that we have as children that helps us to be resilient, right? And so a lot of the focus is on the ACEs, but sometimes we don't focus on like, you know, at church, for example, there are a lot of people that have positive experiences at church in their community. There are a lot of people that have positive experiences, you know, in their neighborhood. And we don't always focus on that part of it, but ACEs are indeed important as well. So that you can know if this person has experienced these things, that they're more likely to have these experiences when they grow up. You know, thank you for um, explaining that. And I can see in the chat, other people knew what ACE was. They like ACE training is this. But I tell you what I take away from what you said is that sometimes people can be uh, maybe in a little denial, maybe in a little, hey, not me. But it sounds as though, you know, what people can be honest about is if they've had some adverse childhood experiences. And if they know that they've had some adverse childhood experiences, one, two, three, two, three, four, five, all the way 10, then they definitely need to get some help. And, and, you know, come on, let's stop lying to yourself. If you got one, okay, two, three, four, five. But after a while, the more adverse childhood experiences you have, the more likely it is that you really need some help and you shouldn't be trying to do it by yourself. Am, am I, am I, am I, am I making it plain? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of us, especially in my community, the people that I work with, they struggle with the whole getting help part, especially in the church community, because we think all we need is Jesus, right? All we need is prayer. All we need is praise. When you can have all of that and you can also have a therapist because a therapist is a strategy. And I look at, you know, especially I look at us as we are three-part beings. We have we are spiritual beings, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And so we don't, our soul is the mental health part of us, right? And we don't like to address that part of us. We just stick to the body, we stick to the spirit, but we also have to spend, and I love what Aisha is doing because she's working on the soul part. I love that. Therapy is working on the soul part. And I think that it's equally important to address that part of us. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, I saw that as well with Aisha because as she's helping other people, she's helping herself. And, it, and that's what people don't really realize, right? When you step out like this and you're vulnerable and you're really, really being so transparent, I know those other people will be like, judge, they'll turn their nose up. I'm like, you don't understand how these blessings work, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because the more you help other people, the more you help yourself. But anyway, I'm going to step aside for a second. Thank you for explaining ACE. I'm going to jump to the next question. I'm just going to read it. The pan I can't even say pandemic, right? I, I just put too many syllables in it, but I'm from Texas, so y'all just um, mind your business. Um, <laughs> the the, the pandemic that we're living through has certainly impacted our livelihoods, our stress levels, and our overall well-being. But my guess is that we've been in this trouble for a while. What are your thoughts about the state of our mental health right now in this country? Yeah, so listen... I cannot keep an available appointment open right now. So that is very telling because people are flooding counseling centers right now. And so I think what has happened with the pandemic is that it, you know, it slowed us down, like because we tend to just be distracted with life. Um, and I like to say that we are we are created to be human beings, meaning that we just be, but we find ourselves being human doings a lot of the times. And so the pandemic took all of that away from us. It took that crutch away from us. And so it made us face ourselves. It made us face each other because when you're um, distracted with things and doing things, you don't even connect with people. And so when you had to 
go in quarantine with the people that you actually live with, <laughs> you can't run. <laughs> you got to face that. You got to face whoever's there, like the real person. And so they all showed up and that kind of put all of our stuff in our face. And it helped us to see that, you know what? I'm not okay. I even have a lot of men coming in that realize and recognize that, wait a minute, I am depressed. I am depressed. I, I have a lot of, and that, that was, that was the most surprising thing to me is having men show up saying I'm depressed because I don't think I've ever experienced this to this degree, men coming into counseling, recognizing that I need help and I, and I love it. And so if there is anything that came from this pandemic is our ability to just slow down and reconnect within ourselves. And I love it. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, I, I'm speechless. You got me on that one, girl. I hadn't heard that description, you know, and I can be a person like, yeah, I heard everything. I hadn't heard that description, but you describe it very well. So it sounds like business is good for you. It's doing really well. It's not, but you know, I, and I, it, it is doing well, but I think that it says a lot in regards to where we are in, as a nation. And even with, you know, a lot of the things that's going on politically, you know, people are coming in to manage the stress of, um, especially people of color, like we're coming in trying to manage the stress of everything that's happening politically in regards to Trump, when Trump was in office, in regards to the police brutality, like all of that is taking a toll on us. And I think that sometimes the answer is just, let's just disconnect because I hear this, I hear this saying a lot that it's just exhausting, right? And it is, and it's really important to make sure that you're putting yourself first. And I love that people are coming in so that they can learn the skills that they need in order to put themselves first and manage their own mental health. Yeah, yeah, def definitely, definitely agree with that. I there's stress coming from so many different places. So let me just move to the next question. And um, Katie, if you can get ready for um, some Q and A from the um, team. So as you guys listening, um, if you got questions or things you want to ask, um, Ty, um, definitely let Katie know, and um, she's going to make sure that you um, get the microphone or she'll read your question for you. So. Tell me about this, Ty. So one of your areas of specialty is food and body image. You've done those food photo shoots, and I love them, girl. You're doing your thing. <laughs> You'd be like, this is me. You know, this is me. And But but can you um, talk to us about some of the things that you find yourself addressing with your clients when it comes to this body image and how we can be better informed about when we might need to seek help? Yeah. So I, I have this whole specialty that I work with and it's bariatric patients and people that are just on a weight loss journey that experience emotional eating, binge eating, just eating disorders overall. And I think where we sometimes get stuck at is that we think that we want to address our weight gain or weight loss issues with just exercise and what we eat when really what we should really be doing is digging deeper to find out why I'm feeling the need to eat the food. Why am I feeling the need to not eat? You know, is it stress? Is it because I feel out of control? Like what is eating me? Like what is the real issue here? And so my, like, you know, I've been on this uh, weight loss journey for over 10 years and I've done a little bit of everything to gain weight, lose weight. You know, I've, I've done a little bit of everything, uh, including bariatric surgery and nothing has worked until I learned to 
practice mental, good mental health. And so that's what I do now with my clients is that I help people to number one, gain awareness about what's eating them, why they're turning to food um, and addressing that part of it. And when you address that part of it, it's so much easier to maintain the weight. And something that does come up out of it is what you mentioned is this whole body image issue. And it, you know, and it, it's everywhere. Like in, in social media, you have these Instagram models, you have people getting Brazilian butt lifts, right? You know, people getting plastic surgery, like we are doing the most right now. And that's because, you know, and literally doing the most to the point that we're almost dying to have these perfect, what we consider perfect bodies. Um, and so, you know, I'm on this whole mission of just let's be body neutral. Let's just be able to accept the body that we have on the way to whatever body you want, but let's just accept what we have, what God blessed you with. And, and that's sometimes so hard, And but it's important because guess what? We have these kids watching us, the mommies, the men, we have these kids watching us. We have kids listening to the music. I went, I listen, I made a Facebook post the other day and I just asked people for lyrics <laughs> of the music that they listen to. And I, if you just listen to the lyrics of the music, it, you will you will understand why these conversations happen and need to happen for especially young girls that are comparing their bodies to these fake bodies that are being posted on social media. Um, and it's just, you know, a, a mission that I'm on right now. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it, it definitely is a topic and I can definitely feel it, right? I mean, it, it used to be one of those topics that I'm like, yeah, that's what other people do. But the more I think about it, you know, it affects men, it affects women. And I'm glad that you're, you know, once again, living through experience, lived experience, your testimony, and you're sharing your experiences. So tell us about parenting. We, we also kind of talked a little bit about parenting, right? You know, so, but what are some areas that you can address? And can you give us a few tips about how we can better position our own children for great mental health? Yeah. So coming from a dysfunctional upbringing, I really like all I knew was spanking. <laughs> like I'm just going, I'm going to spank you. And that's just how I parent. Right. <laughs> um, and so until I had my, he's now about to be 10 and he was speech delayed. And so I had him, he had to do a psychological evaluation and it was a play-based mm -hmm. psychological evaluation. And so during the evaluation, they had him just playing with the toys that were there. And so he grabbed a doll baby and out of nowhere, he started spanking the doll baby and I'm like oh god yeah. <laughs> I'm like I am so through right now and then all the people there were like four they were like four professionals it was a psychologist a speech therapist uh, like everyone was in there and he grabbed that doll baby and started spanking it and everybody looked at me they're like I know what you do at home <laughs> right and I just kind of is will tell you they will tell on you. I'm telling you, mm -hmm. they will tell on you. And so everybody just kind of looked at me and I'll just turn my head. <laughs> like, but that was like the moment that I said, I got to not, I got to do something different. And so I, um, I started learning these positive or conscious parenting strategies. Um, and it was the biggest thing for conscious parenting is being really aware and being self-regulated yourself. And so sometimes we try to parent out of a place of frustration and 
that just doesn't work because how can you calm a, a child down when you are all over the place yourself, right? And so the biggest thing is making sure that you, tonight is about self-care, making sure that you are caring for yourself so that you can be in a place where your child needs you so that you can be regulated and you pull them into your peace instead of letting them pull you into their chaos because sometimes they are dysregulated and all over the place, right? And so you stay regulated so that you can be what they need you to be. So that's like the biggest thing that I learned as a parent. And sometimes, you know what? Um, we, we feel like like nurturing is spoiling sometimes. Um, and I have to like talk to a lot of parents about that is that I don't necessarily believe that you can spoil a child by giving them what they need because all behaviors are there to meet a need, even in adults. Like when we're doing different things, it's because we have a need. And so if you identify what does this child need and address that part of it, you'll be fine. And you don't have to worry about spoiling because you can't spoil a child that is just getting their needs met. You know, and I think that was one of the biggest, biggest things that I had to learn in regards to changing the way that I parent. Um, and so regulation, um, not looking at uh, spoiling differently, and then also engaging my child in a different way. Um, so sometimes I had this attitude of, or we have this attitude of, I'm the boss, I'm the parent, you listen to me, do as I say. And I think that sometimes that kind of has the opposite effect on what we want for, with our mm -hmm. kids, because we really want them to kind of develop their voice. We want them to um, be these great human beings, but that doesn't just start when they are like 18 years old. That starts when they're babies. Mm -hmm. And so you practice those ways of being with them in terms of being able to honor what their wishes are, being able to hear them out, helping them to be able to collaborate with you. Like all of that is really important in regards to parenting. And sometimes I look at parenting as if you're just being a coach. And so there, there's some foundation and there's some teaching that you do, but after you teach, you, you coach them through what you taught them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that is a collaborative process as instead of just a dictatorship. Sometimes we look at parenting as I'm just a dictator and that's not helpful for our kids because it doesn't teach them to be honored as human beings, which is what we want when they get older. And so those are the, the, the major, major things that I think that I have learned in the last 10 years in regards to parenting and how I teach parents and co-parents um, in terms of making sure that they raise resilient kids that are confident in their abilities, because that's what we really want, right? Mm. Yes, yeah, yes, indeed, and, and you describe it very well. I used to call it contemporary parenting, but mm -hmm. you've you summarized it very well. Because as a dad, one of the things that I do from day one is making sure that my son understand what it's like to be respected as a human yeah. being mm -hmm. from day one. Right? Yeah. You know, like you said, it doesn't start. You know, much later. There's life skills that happen very early. So we're going to wrap up with a final. Um, question. So Katie, if you can just begin to um, think about what your first question is going to be and see what the audience is talking about. I see the chat, but I don't know what you guys are talking about. But um, tell me about this. Let's uh, also, Katie, can you um, put into the chat, how can the community, the users that are here tonight, um, find Taisha? Because, you know, and, and just put her links in there, but let me go to this last question. You're in North Carolina. 
but you practice telehealth, right? So please share with the audience, you know, what telehealth is and how it has enabled you to serve more clients, you know, because I don't know, you know, if your license says North Carolina only or how that works. And last, you know, um, I think we already addressed this of how can people find you. So Katie is going to help you with that. We got your links. We're going to put that in there so people can find you, but I really want them to find you. But tell us about telehealth, North Carolina. How can people find you if they really feel that you a family member, someone they love can really be blessed by you and your services. Yeah. So um, you can reach me. My website is www.rehabilitateyourlife.com. And on social media, I'm at Rehabilitate Your Life. And if you want like some body positivity or body neutrality, it's bodacious body love, bodacious body love. Um, but I love telehealth and telehealth is really what we're doing right now. This is like a virtual therapy session right here that we're having. <laughs> and so it is just using video or phone in order to communicate and have and host your session. So I don't I don't do face-to-face anymore um, because I, I love that I can reach anyone across the state of North Carolina. And if someone was interested in coaching, I can reach them from anywhere in the world. Um, and so I can be like, I plan on moving out of the country soon. And so I can be in Africa and having my sessions right here with someone in North Carolina. So it's just in terms of the reach and the accessibility, it just makes counseling so much more accessible because when you think about face-to-face, you think about, especially people that experience trauma and dysfunction and come from the families that I work with, they have difficulties with transportation. And so it just takes away that one of the barriers to accessing care. And so I love, love, love telehealth. And some people are not as comfortable with it because they think that it's going to be different and they, they just like the face-to-face, but you know, it, to me, it, I don't lack anything from with telehealth. And so I love it. I love it. And my clients love it too. Yeah. I I echo that. I actually tried telehealth and I actually liked it more than Mm -hmm. face-to-face. So, you know, it's, it's definitely different. So, um, Let's go ahead and transition to some questions. So thank you. We're going to wrap up the formal part of it. I'm going to get myself out of the way. And the rest of the team, um, KD, can you get us started with a question? Let us know. What are people thinking? And yeah, we've got a couple of questions, actually. There was one question that was really about stress. So what are some tips that you can give us on managing stress right now? Um, you mentioned that there are a lot of men in particular that that you were seeing. And so I, obviously it's something that a lot of men are going through, but just in general, what are ways in which we can manage stress? And then, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Go ahead. so one of the biggest, biggest things is awareness. It's the, the biggest, biggest thing is awareness and mindfulness. So kind of just knowing where you are and knowing when things change for you. And so that's how you know when something is wrong. If you notice your, like you have to notice your trends. Like we are creatures of habit, right? And so one of the biggest predictors of when something is wrong is when your habits change. And that's how you know that's when you become aware that, okay, something is wrong. I need something is wrong. And so then you reach out for help and don't be afraid to reach out for help. And being able to just be honest and vulnerable about what's happening with you is one of the biggest things and getting support from even people that are in your circle um, and being honest about what's happening. Okay, thank you. Thank you. We've got a question from Elaine. And Elaine, if you'll take yourself off mute and ask your question, that would be great. Okay, thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm so happy to be here. This is my second time joining um, the meeting. And um, I kind of think that um, Taisha touched on this just a little bit, but my question was around collective trauma. Um, I think all of us are, most of the country has been affected 
over these last four or five years um, by the um, last presidential administration. I, I would say that I'm sitting here right now still feeling some after effects of the stress, um, trying to figure out ways um, how to deal with it and move on with my life. So my question is, you know, um, how do we as a collective group um, deal with the trauma? How do we de-stress and how do we go about our daily lives? Um, especially, and I'm gonna add just a little bit more, especially um, given that not only individuals have been impacted, but family members themselves. So some members no longer have a good relationship with others because of this last administration. So how do you deal with collective trauma? Yeah, I, I think that it's important to find, like I call them healing circles. I think that it's important to find healing circles, especially with people that you identify with. And because it kind of built, I, I believe that we heal in community. And so we, we can kind of be destroyed in community, but we can also heal in, heal in community. So finding those really um, community circles, healing circles where you can just let things out and get things out like physically. So a lot of movement based practices in terms of like yoga, running, you know, those type of dance drumming, like those types of movement, mind body approaches, I think that they're really helpful in terms of getting um, that, that type of stress and trauma out of your body. Um, and then also, I think that being active and having conversation is so important, even conversation with people that you may not agree with, because sometimes that can be very healing um, in itself. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it can be very scary to talk to people that are not like you, and it can be exhausting when you have to explain, but sometimes you'll find people that are really open to understanding and you can really have conversation. And to me, this is just my opinion. To me, when you find those opportunities and you take advantage of them, it, it really does a lot to move things forward. Because to me, like that's how hearts change is by conversation and by exposure. And so to me, finding opportunities to connect with people that want to change, that want to grow and using healing communities is the way to go, in my opinion. Thank you so much for that. Kaisha, that was fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just the whole thought of having conversations with people that you don't actually agree with. Mm -hmm. It's great advice. And I think the other side of that might be make certain that you're having a conversation with a reasonable person that you can. Yes, <laughs> that you absolutely. Because you don't. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the important part. You have to know when it's actually a person that you can grow with. And it's worth having the conversation. And sometimes it's not, so you have to disconnect, but you have to know when when it, when you have that moment in front of you. Absolutely. We've got a question yeah. from AK Free. Let's go ahead and ask it, AK. Yeah. And also Asia is still on. Um, and, and in case um, we want to get a question for her, I think um, Aisha, sorry. But keep going. Go ahead, AK Free. Good evening. Thank you so much for um, everything that you're sharing. Um, can you, my first question is, can you please um, kind of address that I think we kind of throw around the word stress or the term stress mm -hmm. um, and that there are varying degrees of stress that there are definitely you know um, I think a lot of times we want to default to the most extreme right things that are traumatic you know what's going on in social media things that have happened to me um, but can you also address that there are such things as sort of healthy stress um, stress that is just very temporary and very part of day-to-day -day living um, and how to manage that so it doesn't elevate uh, or graduate into something um, more serious. 
And can you also address um, how one can find the help that works for them? So finding the, the right therapist. That, so it, to me, it's like finding the right doctor, the right dentist, the right church, the right car, the right house. You know, how you go about navigating the journey of finding the right therapist or just finding the right tools that work for you um, as a person, but also work for different situations because different tools work for different kinds of things. So yes, you can have the Calm app, but then you might also need this and that, that there are uh, lots of tools to have um, in your toolbox. And that, Aisha, you wanted to take the first part of that and I can take the last part. Sure, sure. So definitely like there is a spectrum of stress. And so stress is literally any demand that's put on your like mind or body, right? So any demand, right? And that demand could be a positive demand, that um, demand could be a negative demand. And so in these conversations, you know, we didn't necessarily upfront acknowledge it. We're really talking about when the, the demands that you have exceed the resources that you have. So personal, mental, spiritual resources, even financial resources um, that you have. And you're not else, or even if you have those resources, you're not able to mobilize them. So there's two things. So sometimes, you know, people may have a support system around them, but they're afraid to ask that support system for support systems. That's them not being able to mobilize it. And so we have to think about it that way, that there's always going to be those demands, but do you have the resources, number one, and can you mobilize them? Like a person who's depressed may not be able to mobilize those resources. And so then over time, if day, day in and day out, you're not able to mobilize resources or even think about mobilizing resources. Because for me, I was like, I didn't even know the concept of that I need to mobilize a resource. Then you're under chronic stress. And with chronic stress, what happens is your baseline gets elevated. So if you're looking at stress on a scale of one to 10. And then if you're always at a seven, then your body sort of recalibrates and says, okay, well, seven is normal. And it doesn't, it stops even trying to bring you down to a two um, or three, and I never say a one because as a black woman, I do not believe in stress-free living, right? And that's why I feel like you have to practice self-care every day. Cause even when I'm like 100% on point, I have to still practice every day because I don't know what's coming when I open up the phone, open up the laptop when my phone rings kind of thing. So that's why I feel like stress happens every day. So therefore self-care happens, has to happen every day. Um, and so that's why it's so important. And to the second part of your question, and Ty, I know you're going to comment on, too, on on it as well. I really feel like everyone needs to do sort of an audit of their life and say, what is stressing me out? Because I, if you had asked me before, I would have just said it was a job. It was a job. But after doing the audit, I was like, oh, it's a whole lot of other stuff going on. And so once I did the audit, I could say also, oh, so the kind of things that I consider self-care going to the spa, I still do it, um, they don't match. So to me, there's a matching, what's stressing me out? And then what is the solution to that? What is, what's gonna be the thing that like lowers that stress? And if, if you can't get rid of it, cause some of the stuff we just need to be like, nah, we're not doing that no more. But if you can't get rid of it, then figuring out how, okay, so what can I do to make sure that when I walk into the situation that I can't get out of, that I have enough bandwidth so I can be resilient or what can you do after? So like Wednesdays, I have a meeting with some crazy people at 12 and one at one, and they were going back to back and back. back. And so the self-care for me was to ask the one o'clock people if we could start at 115. 
because I literally need to get up and put some music on and wipe off the 12 o'clock people because <laughs> the 12 o'clock people are stressful. So, and so for me, it can look at, look like small things like that just for asking for an extra 15 minutes between calls. So, but really thinking about like, oh, it was a 12 o'clock people that were stressing me out. So I literally need to do something right after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just want to add that when we experience stress, it's important to remember that that's issue or whatever it is, is a stressor because we, we are seeing it as a threat to us, to our well-being. Like we are literally like high class animals, right? <laughs> and so we have this, you know, we talked about it earlier, like this fight, flight, freeze um, thing going on. And so whenever you experience a, a stress, you have to look at, okay, not just this is stressing me, but why is it stressing me? Like, what is the threat here? Like, what is the thought or the experience that I've connected to this moment that makes my mind go there and experience it as a threat? And then dealing with that part of it. And in regards to therapy and finding the right therapist, I am all here for using con- consultations. Like, you can call as many therapists as you want. And you can ask them, you tell them, like, this is what's happening with me. And you ask them, how do you treat it? Like, what are the different types of modalities that you use? And you ask them those questions and you actually, you know, we talked about earlier how, you know, I'm really like this kind of in your face, kind of loud person. If somebody calls me and that's not great for them, like, just don't make the appointment. And so you're calling and you're going to be asking these therapists and you're going to be checking out their personality and see if you guys click. You're going to be seeing, okay, how do you treat these particular issues? And if that sounds good to you, that's when you schedule. You don't have to stay with any therapist that does not work for you. It's like literally like a a marriage. And if the marriage is not a good fit, it's just not going to work. Let me see if I've got other questions. We've got a, a, a lot of stuff coming from Nakota. <laughs> is is dropping? Oh off my goodness! Wisdom, Nakota. Do you have something you'd like to share with us? Um, Tell Dakota to, he need to wait for two weeks because he's sitting there trying <laughs> to give everybody a sneak peek. But Dakota, what you got to say? You got some on your mind. We can jump into discussion if you don't have questions. Let's jump into the discussion. Nakota, what you got? What's on your mind? Um, one, I, w- I want to say thank you to both of y'all, both of you all. Um, for coming on and sharing your story, sharing your journey. Um, I, I can't tell you how much is resonating with me. Clearly is resonating with everybody that's on here because um, the chat box is going nuts. Um, you know, I think this year I experienced... Um, uh, I, I just clicked it. Oh, there you go. Probably was a pops. breakdown. And... Um, I didn't recognize it for what it was. You know, I had all of these coping strategies that I've been uh, learning about, you know, my therapist from some years ago, I broke company with her and it wasn't uh, in a bad way, but you know, she was a white lady and I loved her dearly. She helped me and my wife um, recover our marriage. Um, But when Trump came into presidency um, and this past year happened, um, I got to this point where I was like really fucking angry. Um, with white people and hurt um, beyond belief. And I just could not feel like I could communicate that in a way that to her without that coming across as hurtful to her as a white person. And she's a great ally. She's a good friend. um, And she's also been my therapist. So I stopped seeing her and that went one of my coping methods um, in being able to really be able to seek help at that time. And, you know, from there, 
um, it for me became insomnia and that became its own um, craziness because it was like two to three hours of sleep a night and then it became chronic insomnia. And I mean, now I'm on meds because I've essentially forgotten how to sleep. So, you know, when I'm listening to you all share um, how important it is for us to go out and um, reach out to get help, um, and but more importantly, to recognize, to be present in this moment, to be present uh, mentally uh, in a way that you can say, hey, I might be struggling. I'm on a struggle bus and I need to get help. Uh, I, I commend both of you all for sharing your stories and um, making yourselves vulnerable and available to us in a way that we can um, reach out and say, I too need help. So um, I've been seeing a therapist now, I think for about two or three weeks, uh, but I was getting to the point where it was really uh, bleeding into my job, uh, bleeding into my personal life uh, with my wife. And um, I, I was ready to just sell all my shit um, and leave, you know, because I, I was, I, I just couldn't cope anymore. So, you know, recognizing, you know, what you guys are suggesting and putting on the table for us to do to help heal our souls, to try to bring our stress levels back down. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I love that because I think that sometimes we think that if we seek therapy, we're not strong, we're weak. And that is just so not true. Like you are a human being. You are just, that's just, you were not created to man, like manage all these things that we are, are being thrown at us. And so you're not, if you have to get help, number one, you don't, therapy is not just for when things are going bad. <laughs> I think that's another thing that people think that it's just for when things are just like crazy. And it's also for when you just want to talk things through. It's also for when, you know, you have something coming up and it's new for you and you need to bounce something off of, like, that's when you seek therapy as well. It doesn't have, like, your life doesn't have to be falling apart. But even if your life is falling apart, it's okay to get help. Like, we were not meant to shoulder these heavy, heavy burdens, especially alone in silence. And that's what so many of us do. And it's just not fair to us and it's not kind to us. And we got to learn to be kind to ourselves. Can I just add to what Ty just said? Um, I, I expressed it in the chat. Um, I find therapy uh, to be probably one of the most liberating things you could possibly do for yourself, right? Particularly if you, to your point, have a great match, you know, sort of like a date, like, was this a great day? Do we want to continue this relationship? Because one of the things about therapy that I love is that that person doesn't have a nickel in my dime, right? Mm -hmm. They are here to just help me navigate through the process of either wellness, if that's what I'm there for, or unpacking, if that's what I'm there for, right? And sometimes it is just a relief to talk to someone, again, who doesn't have that, some kind of investment in you in that way, because even talking to someone that you truly love, that loves you, you know, they can't really be helpful, right? Like sometimes, yeah, I could talk to my best girlfriends and they can listen and sometimes it's great, but sometimes it's like, oh, so who we get ready to take out because they love me, right? Like they ready, you know, yes, going to my spouse or my significant other, yeah, mate, some things we can talk about, but there's some other things that like, okay, who do I need to take out? Cause they hurt you. Like, and you're like, I don't need you to solve it for me, right? Like it's not always about solving it for me it is sometimes just about creating a landscape in a space 
um, for me to do that. And I think it's also important to know that sometimes simple things like my book club is therapeutic. Like, yeah, we sort of talked about the book, but by that, you know, second bottle of wine, we, we, we shouldn't. <laughs> and we are talking and we are like, yes, I'm going through that too. That's therapeutic too. So I also want people to understand that therapeutic is not always this kind of you're in someone's office or whether it's resume sometimes it can be that circle of people mm -hmm. um where you, you're purging and you're releasing in those tears when i learned that tears because i'm a crier um that tears are my release like i feel physically better right. when i cry you may feel physically better when you laugh like whatever that it is for you it really is that unleashing of what we are capturing inside of our bodies sometimes mm -hmm. because it's something in our in our mental so you know i just wanted to to just kind of share that as well yeah that's so good that's so good thank you thank you ak free um um katie what else you got for us i ha i have a question and it's about uh -huh. AK Free mentioned something about, you know, the importance of having friends, right? And, and other things that you can use as sort of a stress reliever. What is a way that we as just sort of normal human beings that have friends can be helpful to others as they as they have stress? And, and I know a lot of us are naturally helpers, right? And, and a lot of times that adds to our own stress. But the reality of it is, is that we are friends, we're social people. So what are the ways in which we can really help each other? Yeah. So I, I really, I, I think that friendship circles are therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Like therapy, the therapist has like these skill sets that can help help you navigate your life and helps you to kind of move beyond and through situations where sometimes your friends can listen to you just like um, AJ Free was saying is that they are listening, but they're not treating you. Like there's treatment in therapy. And so in terms of friendships, you know, just allowing someone to be seen and heard is so, so important and validated. And I think that sometimes what I find is that people don't go to people because they feel like they might be judged or you're going to tell their business or you're going to look at them funny. And that's why they tend to not go. And so when people come to you, being able to share that space with them and connect with them, but also knowing when to say, you know what? I think you need to get this help and pointing them in that direction. I think that that is also extremely important as well for friendships. Thank you. you. Know, um, Aisha, one thing you said, um, I think it was recently when you were talking and telling about the story of your coworkers, you're stressed and you know, you're, you know, I guess you gave the illustration of a duck paddling with the legs under the water and you say other people can see it, but you think they can't see it. I love what you said, um, Aisha, you were saying, you're like, um, instead of saying, no, I don't need help. What did you say, um, Aisha? Do you mind explaining that one? I, I love that response. Yeah, I don't, that was, that was way back on Sunday. It's Thursday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I probably was saying something to the, you know, that effect that we, like when we get to the point of like burnout, right? So burnout, you're going to start to be um, like disengaged, like from like friends, family work, that kind of thing. You start to get cynical, that exhaustion, and then like you have work like you're not so 
efficacious at work. And so the definition mm -hmm. I kind of just gave of that, that actually comes from the international classification of diseases, right? They burn out, you know, when you go to the doctor and you get your bill and it's like 10.100.040, they have all these codes, right? They have a code for burnout now, right? And so with that, what I realized was like, you know, while I was killing it at work and killing myself at work, I thought people couldn't see it, but they really could. Um, and so there was times where people did offer me help, but I was just like, oh no, I got it. I'm a strong black woman. I'm the director now. Yeah. Like, don't, you know, if I, if I ask for this help, what are people going to think of me? And it was like, well, you know, my body was like, well, I'm thinking that you're a fool and you need to take care of yourself. That's what my body was telling me. So people can actually see it sometimes. And so you guys are just talking about like friendships and building that support system and what can you do? And so as a friend, oftentimes um, the person who's really stressed, they're not like in that, they don't have that clear mind to know exactly what they need. And so sometimes we'll be like, oh, just let me know what you need. I got you, blah, 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 blah. But they cannot tell you what they need. So I think it's effective to just, you know, offer them to do what you can do, like one, two or three things. And so in that offering, you're making it easier for them to choose, but then you're also setting your own boundaries because you're like, okay, you know, you make sure those two or one, two or three things that you give um, that you can help with, make sure there are things that are not going to completely deplete you because there's no point in offering somebody help um, from your empty cup and then resenting them because you um, overgave. So I think there's a like a fine line there where you can help people by asking, by telling them, um, you know, offering what you think you see that they need, but also making sure that you're setting that boundary with yourself um, so that you're not overgiving. Yeah, I should thank 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 you for that. And as I recall, you recovered quite well, so thank you. I recall one of the things you said is that for the person who's like, oh, they can't see. I think I'm killing. It. I can't think. I, I think I'm killing. It. I think I'm killing it. But people are like, yeah, she's struggling. And one of the things you said, similar to which we already said, is that, you know, what uh, you can say instead of you know being in denial, instead of saying I'm fine, you can say, well, how do you feel that you could help me? And that also gives them a door to just say, hey, you know, I get it. I'm killing it. I get it. I'm supernatural. But if you see something I don't see, hey, Dakota, how do you recommend that you can help me? And Dakota can say, hey, man, let's just go out for a walk. I was like, OK, that's good. So Dakota just gave me something that I wasn't even thinking. He said, let's go for a walk because he probably felt that taking a walk may help me. And I do my assessment. I'm like, you know what? Actually, Dakota, you're right. Taking a walk would be helpful. Yeah, so sometimes people see that you're up late at night online or you answer email in the middle of the night. And so, you know, the, you know, the people, there's those telltale signs. People can, can kind of, um, you know, tell those things. And that happens to all of us some of the time. But you know exactly that person who's always working weekends, always up at night, that friend of yours who's always like, ooh, I only slept two hours. And then they say that day after day. You know those people. And we kind of just like, mm, we should offer them help. <laughs> I'm those people. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned how to also um, change my language um, over time. When you know better, you do better. So it's um, my language now is what can I do for you or how can I support you? Like I'm giving you the ownership to tell me, right? As opposed to, you know, just telling you what I'm going to do or just here. 
you take this, right? And even though it comes from a good place, like I love what Karen said, she's like, yeah, I'm the friend, you know, that's like, we're going to bust the windows out of his car. Like, and, and it's not to say that you should not have those people. Right, we need it. Yeah, y'all, y'all like those people. We need them. <laughs> you know, so I don't want anybody walking away from this conversation feeling like you shouldn't have those people in your life. That's not, that's, I don't think that's what we're saying. I think what we are saying, though, for me, I've had to, and I changed my language because I had to think about what I needed to tell people that I need, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then you have to go to the right people for what you need. I'm not going to my broke friend for money. So I'm also not going to my broken friend when I'm broken. You know, wow. so you have to know who to go to for the right things. And it's not always the people you love. Sometimes it's your stranger. Sometimes, you know, it's it's people who you don't expect. And that doesn't mean those people don't have value. But you have to go to the right resources, right, for the right things. I'm not going to Popeye's for a burger. So you better know where to go to, Preach, to, get, or to get what you need or to get the <laughs> connection, right? And it doesn't mean, you know, that those people that are closest to you aren't valuable. It just means you can't feed me what I need right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And I may not be the right person for you. I may not be your person. So you have to figure out, um, you know, what those resources are to you and go to the right resources at the right time for the right thing. Wow. I just want to quote so, that. Yeah. I need that on paper. You don't go to your broke friend for money and you don't go to your broken friend for help. Yes. And don't go to Popeye's for no burger either. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.